Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. A few weeks ago, comedian and consumer rights guru Joe Lysett stormed off the set of a daytime television interview. <laughs> oh, 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 God. Wow. Okay, okay. I mean, my heart is going so much. I pulled off multiple microphones there. Joe, who's been advocating for responsible plastic use, had been humiliated on live TV for doing exactly what he swore he was far too ethical to ever do. Use a white PET plastic bottle. That is what we wanted you to think. Yes, Twitter is going off. Has Joe Lysett just dropped off Steph's packed lunch? Oh, yeah, this is what we're after. (laughs) I feel really alive, actually. Online, the show's audience reacted in a frenzy. Was going to stick with us, but he's had to leave. Ah, so what have we got for you now? While for some, the <laughs> But the whole thing was a stunt. Joe had walked out to raise awareness about plastics, in particular, and even I didn't know this, white and coloured plastic, which is significantly worse for the environment. By the end of the day, we were all over the papers, including the Sun, the Mirror and the Daily Mail. The Sun basically held a referendum asking, do you think Joe was honestly angry? And 69% of them said, yes, he seemed cheesed off. (laughs) Thank you for that, Sun. I'm Claire Barrett, consumer editor at The Financial Times. In this episode of Money Clinic Meets, I'll be talking to Joe Lysett about his surprisingly convincing antics and consumer campaigns. At this point, I had friends and family calling to see if I was okay, and I was genuinely starting to think, has this gone a bit too far? It was actually getting quite scary how many people were believing it. It was time to tell the truth, and I posted a statement on Instagram admitting I had planned the whole thing. The explanation made even bigger waves than the original stunt. I started trending on Twitter, and it got on the front page of BBC News. Up yours, Covid! (laughs) It was working. The whole point was to get people to start talking about plastics. A clear bottle is easy to deal with. A white PET bottle is not. All of my, let's be honest, attention-seeking behaviour was to start a conversation about this so we can be more aware of our part in the fight against climate change. Joe Lysett is a stand-up comic and TV presenter. He's known for changing his name to Hugo Boss by Deedpole, battling against parking tickets and successfully emailing scammers into submission. He's taken comedic complaining to a professional level and turned it into a consumer show, now in its third season on Channel 4, called Joe Lysett's Got Your Back. 
In this exclusive interview to kick off our new series of Money Clinic podcasts, Joe will be talking to me about his own money story, including how he manages his cash and where he buys his clothes. Do you want me to wear the sunglasses for the whole interview, do you think? <laughs> but then you'll, get ref- you'll be reflected. <laughs> They're very FT pink. Very FT pink. Yeah. How much do you think I spent well, talking of finances? I know you're pretty thrifty, mm. so I'm guessing not more than £20, although they look very stylish. Mm. £7. Wow. In a charity shop in Bridge End. Oh, fantastic. Charity shops outside of London contain many bargains. Oh, God, yeah. <clears throat> Plus, he'll be telling me what really gets his back up in the consumer world and providing tips and inspiration on how to complain Joe Lycett style. I'm thrilled to be in this sort of sci-fi building that the FT is. Well, how does it feel to be inside the Financial Times? I feel like I shouldn't be here, like I'm a fraudster, <laughs> that like people with proper jobs are sort of wandering around, wondering why I'm here. Well, you have a huge amount of respect from many of my journalistic colleagues upstairs. We think you're like a journalist. I find that ridiculous, but I like, I'll take it. You get great results. Now, Joe Lysett's got your back. The third series is about to kick off on, on Channel 4. Now, I described it in my Financial Times column once as being like Watchdog, but on drugs, which I'm amazed that they actually printed. Yeah. But they did. I mean, how would you describe your show? I once described it as a, like a cross between Watchdog and RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> and I think that's even more accurate for this series because we actually have two of the queens from Drag Race popping up. There's a story that I'm sure we'll talk about to do with uh, Yop, the yogurt drink. And we have Tia Coffey, who is a, a, an astounding drag queen who does a Yop mega mix in that episode. Wow. So you definitely don't get on Watchdog. It's a, it's a sort of camp silly daft entertainment show with a a real grounding in um, solid journalism and consumer affairs I suppose yeah but I think the genius thing is that it makes it fun to watch we'll talk later on what's coming up in the new series but first I wanted to ask you the same question that I ask everyone who comes on the money clinic which is what's your earliest money memory it involves theft actually Go on. Yeah. This is the best story we've probably ever had. Well, that's interesting. I, I always thought I was quite a... When people said or asked me what were you like as a kid, I always said I was very well behaved. I just talked in class. That was, But actually, I just remembered there was a game I wanted to buy. I love video games and I can't remember what it was, but I'm guessing it was for the PlayStation 1. Let's say it was £20. And I had £10, but I needed another 10 And I was sat in my dad's car... And his wallet was on the side and I was just sort of looking at it with curiosity. And in there was a crisp £10 note. Ooh. So I took it and uh, then I bought the game and uh, got away with it. He didn't ever find out? I think, he, well, he didn't ever, I was never reprimanded, so probably not. Let's hope he doesn't listen to the Money Clinic podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I, owe you, I owe you a tenner, Dad, if you're listening. But Joe's natural tendency towards justice didn't come from a consumer impulse or even a sense of thriftiness, but from his upbringing in Birmingham, city of Cadbury's chocolate. I'm not sort of weirdly not that great at complaining, so I don't, you know, I don't kick up a fuss when I'm in a restaurant if something's not quite right, because mainly I don't want people to be like, oh, that Joe Lysett is in, he's a, a real strop. I just feel I'm more, I play the long game. I can definitely do it over email, but also I like... 
I'm a bit like Stalin. I'll wait 30 years and then I'll have you. And it's I've never just never compared myself to Stalin before, but I'm going to run with it. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the kind of injustices that I definitely first felt uh, really cross about was kind of seeing people in the working world being treated badly by the people that they were working for, essentially. A little bit with my parents, because my mum worked for Cadbury's and worked there for a long, long time. And then they were bought out by Kraft. And, you know, all these executives came in and said, oh, no, no one's going to be made redundant. Everyone's going to be fine. It's going to be all the same. And then obviously, you know, a year or so later down the line, redundancies all over the place. They change things all over the place. And it just, the, it's the sort of, um, the way that corporations treat people there's a real indignity to it sometimes and obviously companies exist solely for profit that's what they do and uh, sometimes when they get massive particularly the kind of thirst for profit uh, outweighs any kind of humanity i suppose and that um i think is wrong and uh, makes me cross you're kind of like an activist investor i don't know if you've heard of esg investing it's a kind of shorthand for Ethical. Ethical investing, environmental investing. But this is something that younger investors in particular are really, really keen to put their money where their mouth is and actually make a change with their own finances that could better the planet. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to do ESG. I didn't know it was called ESG. Um, Sounds like a drug, really, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, going mad on ESG. (laughs) When I first started getting some telly money in, I didn't know what to do with it. And I sort of consulted a few friends. There was one investment strategy which I thought was quite interesting, which is some, is it Ray Dalio's um, all-weather approach where you sort of split it between, I think you do 30% in long-term bonds, 30% in short-term bonds, bit on the stock market, bit in commodities, bit in gold. And the idea is that if there's a big crash, then the other, the gold will go up and kind of take the kind of the hit out of it. And I thought, oh, that seems interesting. But then the more I looked into that, the more I thought, well, if I'm just buying into the stock market at large, then my money's going into arms and all these uh, tobacco, all these things that uh, I don't necessarily believe in, oil. So I sort of explored a bit more with a financial advisor. And yeah, hopefully, I mean, it's so difficult to tell, isn't it? Because they all these ethical funds say that they're ethical, but I'm not checking. I haven't got time to go through what they're all up to. So you're sort of trusting that they your measure of ethical is similar to theirs but i think it's really good it's really good that it's coming to the fore really because it's um that's the power of money isn't it that if if we all put it in certain places i mean the GameStop thing that happened i loved all of that i mean that that is sort of peak what i would want to be involved in i bought game shop shares and my financial advisor was like what are you doing I was like, I'm, I'm, hold, I'm holding. I was really, I became one of those like... Have you still of, got them? I've still got them, yeah. I'm sure they're worth dust now, but well, it was fun to be part of uh, sticking it up to the man for a little while. And that, that was why you why you bought them, because you thought this yeah. is the, the little guy yeah, basically. fighting back against the, yeah. the big nasty hedge funds. Well, that's interesting. You know what? I didn't think that you would be an investor. I am pleasantly surprised that you are. I hope that... You talking about it will bring it more into the mainstream. Yeah. Like you say, get more people aware that they can make these choices and put pressure on their companies to yeah. give them a, a choice in their it's, That's the thing. I just sort of don't know what to do with my money, really. So I'm sort of trusting other people. I'm single, don't have any kids, live in Birmingham in a house that I bought for 280 grand. Well, I don't really buy things. 
I bought a Lexus. I feel like a prick for that. <laughs> That's, I mean, what else do I do? You know, I know, I, I, sorry, I haven't read the Financial Times that often, but I know there's a feature which is, isn't there at the weekend where it's like how to spend it? Is that right? Yes, yes. And it's have... just for people who've got loads of cash to just like buy a yacht or whatever. Maybe I'll buy a yacht. Is that a good investment? I don't know if it's so much a good investment to buy a yacht. It's certainly a very good way of, you know, chucking a lot of Mm. money in it. How much is a yacht? Oh, millions. Low end. Oh, okay. Yeah, tens of of millions. I'm not there yet. Joe's yacht-free lifestyle hasn't stopped him from changing the blueprint for consumer advocacy programmes and taking on big companies, such as the yoghurt brand Yacht. He thinks that too much emphasis is put on the consumer making the right choices and that corporations should be the ones to change their ways. One issue, actually, that is key to the Yop story that I think is really important is that as consumers, we absolutely, and individuals, should be mindful of our impact on the environment. But really, the change has to come from those companies. They have to stop producing things that are bad for the environment and it's about putting pressure on those companies to, to, to be more mindful of that and more mindful of the environment. I, I do sort of slightly resent the kind of the onus being on the consumer to mm. do make the right choice because often it's expensive to make the right choice as well and yeah. not everyone has that option and it's a sort of this, I think it was I'm going to sound like a tosser here but I've known Chomsky um, talked about this Oh, who does she think she is, Noam Chomsky? Noam Chomsky talked about it's sort of trick that capitalism has sort of played by telling you like, oh, you can make a right decision if you buy this product, but it's on you to make the decision. And Mm. actually it should be the company just doing the right thing anyway in the first place rather than giving it over as an option to you and putting all the onus on you. Perhaps his most iconic pressure campaign against a company involved Joe completely reinventing himself by legally changing his name to Hugo Boss, as he told the BBC. Good morning, Hugo Boss. Thank you for calling me Hugo Boss. I'm going to have to get used to it. Why have you changed your name legally? So, Hugo Boss is also a company, I believe, and they uh, there's a small company called Boss Brewing in Swansea who are a little new business, and uh, they tried to make a trademark for a couple of their beers, and Hugo Boss sent them a cease and desist letter, which is like a legal letter that basically says, stop doing what they think is alleged illegal activity. And I think it's sort of a massive company taking on a little company, and it's not fair and nobody's going to confuse a beer with Hugo Boss. I don't think I'd splash myself with Heineken in the morning on my neck but maybe you know maybe I will. So I thought they clearly don't like their name being used. They clearly they've sent dozens of these to small businesses, charities. They really like What is interesting the alleged illegal activity is use of the word boss. Yeah. Yeah. Not not the, the brewery is not in Swansea is not the Hugo Boss brewery. No, it's, it's literally it's boss. boss brewery. Yeah. Boss. Yeah. So I thought about it. And so I thought, no one can use the word boss according to Hugo Boss. Well, no, and now I'm Hugo Boss. I'd actually prefer it if people <laughs> didn't as well. I've got. It's what amazing gonna, what happens what when you get the name. What are they going to do to you? Well, yes. Yeah, so I've changed my name by deed, Paul. Yeah. I really didn't expect the reaction that's happened. I didn't expect to be here. I was in the bath about an hour ago. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you so There's much. There's the deed poll certificate showing you actually yeah. have legally changed your name. <laughs> I've legally changed my name, and it's a headache. I've got to tell you. There's so many things you have yeah, to do. Yeah, but it's not about you. It's not. What, about what me. do you want Hugo Boss to do or not do? I would like them to stop doing this, stop sending these cease and desist letters, because no one's confusing these two things. They're not confusing these two brands. But also, I'd really like them to give the because Boss Brewing have spent ten thousand 
£1,000 in legal fees. They've had to rebrand, they've had to change labels. It's been very expensive for a small business. So I'd like them to give them their money back, really, yeah. and also promise to stop. And an apology would be nice, Hugo. If you could apologise, that'd be great. With his unique style of consumer campaigning, Joe has also started to raise awareness around a less-than-glamorous utility that's become vital during lockdown. Broadband. Well, bafflingly, this episode, we have a whole episode on, on broadband, and we created a, um, a national day, which is National My Broadband is Crap Day, which was celebrated around the country by many people who have crap broadband. And um, as a result of it, I ended up sort of in a discussion with Ofcom, and have been appointed by Ofcom as their broadband SAR, <laughs> which is a role that they've completely created, uh, invented. But um, yeah, so I'm now the broadband SAR. Gosh, breaking news. A SAR is born. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm chuffed about that. So yeah, I'm, I don't really know what the role in. Well, I was going to say, what do, you have to, what do you have to do? It's an unpaid role as well, which I'm furious about. But basically it's about sort of promoting uh, broadband Essentially, what they're Ofcom are doing is they're promoting how people can switch. And we had literally the head of Ofcom on the show, which is everyone at Channel Four was quite nervous about because they didn't they really didn't want me to piss her off. And I was sort of asking her what swear words she was going to let me slip in now as the broadband star when I go onto um, television programs. The answer is none. Yeah, she had amazing tips about. I didn't realise, you know, even your Christmas tree lights, if they're in between your router and your what you're connecting with, Christmas tree lights can totally disrupt the signal. And so, yeah, just simple things like that. But yeah, it, it's about shopping around and looking for it. On one of your first shows, you raised awareness of something that we've actually covered on the podcast. This is a really nasty fraud that's still happening uh. today, unfortunately. Number spoofing. When you think that your bank's phoning up, the fraudster yeah. says, check the number, looks like the bank's number. Now, you had a lovely nurse um, who um, came on your show, Claire mm. Leslie, Claire who Leslie, had yeah. lost £11,000 taken mm. out. I mean, when they played that call, the recording of the call, when she realised that she'd been scammed, you know, it was impossible really not to to, to well up. It's ho um, yeah, horrible. Really, really horrible crime. We have had um, Jenny, a guest on the... FT Money Clinic podcast recently, exactly the same thing, banks refusing to pay out. Now, you decided to play a spoof on the head of NatWest Bank at that time, Ross McEwen. Tell us about mm. that. Well, yes, she, uh, Claire Leslie was scammed out of this cash and it came out of a NatWest account, a NatWest owned by RBS. And when she appealed to them, they essentially their argument was, well, we can't stop people pretending to be us. See ya. So I thought, okay, well, I'll pretend to be you then. So I set up, fortunately, Ross McEwen didn't have any social media. So I set up um, some social media for him and made it very believable. You know, uh, put out, essentially just retweeted NatWest and RBS stuff. Just very bland, dry stuff that you can expect from a CEO of a bank. Um, some of my colleagues actually followed you. Yes, I know. Yes, we uh, we got quite a few... FT reporters and whatever, curious about, you know, the new Ross McHugh and what might, what might he be saying? And then gradually started to say things that maybe Ross McEwen wouldn't say. Things like, I've got a smelly bum bum, yes. which became an article in the Metro newspaper that RBS boss Ross McEwen 
claims to have a smelly bum bum. I should point out that I sent that tweet after a few beers and was called very quickly by someone at Channel 4 and told me to delete it, which I did, but the Metro snapped it up before I... They're very fast, yeah. It was only up for about an hour, but that was enough. The things I do when I've had a beer change the world. (laughs) And yeah, he, uh, to his credit, can't comment on his bum bum. I mean, this is the thing the Channel 4 lawyers are saying, like, oh, you can't say stuff if you haven't got proof of it. And I said, like, I would love to be in a court of law disputing that, <laughs> disputing the, the bum-bum of Ross McEwen, like it would ever get to that point. And yeah, to, to his credit, I, I don't think he directly, but someone from his office got in touch with Claire Leslie and informed her that they were giving her a full refund uh, of the 11 grand. It sort of set a bit of a precedent. We trust them with our money. And they're often making loads of money. They seem to be fine. You know, when you think of a banker, I don't, I don't worry about them. They have a responsibility to provide a service that is safe and that, you know, doesn't, isn't vulnerable to fraud. Joe's own chosen career is a notoriously difficult profession when it comes to making ends meet. How did you manage the kind of precarious finances of your chosen career in the earlier days? The disparity is quite stark, really. There's a lot of people, you know, who are really scraping away. And then there's the few people who have kind of got profile who are doing well. And then there is, or was before COVID, this sort of middle group of people who were earning good money, really, from playing clubs. And you probably never heard of them, unless you're a comedy kind of connoisseur. But, you know, there's comedy clubs up and down the country that will be paying you, you know, a few hundred quid for a show, do two or three of those a week. It's decent, you know, decent um, salary. But I, when I started out, I was kind of juggling two jobs. So I had a little job that I worked in a theatre selling ice creams. And then tiny gigs that would give me 30 quid here and there i used to do graphic design as well so i was designing posters for people and logos things like that and so i was sort of making money from different places and scraping by definitely had a few conversations with my agent where i was like does that gig money come in because i do very much need it but i am wildly privileged in the fact that i mean mum and dad aren't rich but they you know live comfortable middle class lives and definitely could bail me out and I always knew that I could go home and you know sleep there and I didn't have to you know I'd always have a roof over my head I think it's a problem with a lot of industries but definitely with comedy that it's not necessarily accessible because you have to put a lot of hours in where you're not really getting paid not necessarily that accessible to people on lower incomes and from low income backgrounds so yeah uh, kind of having done it you know uh, with those unpaid spots, which you do all the time. And sometimes, and I really, if you're a new comic, don't do these gigs. Some clubs will uh, get you to pay to perform or you have to kind of make sure that you bring along enough friends, whatever. No good comedy club will ever ask of that of you. So never accept that. And do you have any money rules that you follow in your own life? Yeah. But Sarah Millican has a few, what people refer to as Millican's Law. And... One of them is if you've had a bad gig, you are allowed until 11am the next day to do whatever you like about it. You can wail about it, tweet about it, call friends, cry. But then at 11am the next day, you're on to the next thing. It's gone. But another part of that rule is if you've had a bad gig, spend the money on something you want. Treat yourself. And um, I adhere to that very much so. What, Um, What things have you bought? Well, I... 
I did a corporate. I, I don't ever do corporates now because I, I only ever did the two and they both didn't sit right with me. And the first was where I had to do a gig on a flight and I agreed to it on the basis that the people on the flight would know some comedy was happening and that there would be a good speaker system. Neither of those things were true. Got on this flight between London and Edinburgh and just essentially stood up as if I was taking them hostage <laughs> with this speaker that was powered by AA batteries. Uh, it was contracted to do 10 minutes and I did 2 minutes and 43 seconds, they told me. A horrendous experience. Awful, awful experience. The payment for that was a few hundred quid and flights to anywhere in the world. So I took me and my friend to, we went to like an American road trip with those flights, which was great fun. And uh, I bought myself this quite expensive necklace that I had had my eye on. Oh. So I really treated myself with that. So what are Joe's tips for dealing with a grievance against a company? Kick up a fuss, but choose an interesting way to do it. I would say that, yes, uh, you know, I do have um, an, a high number of followers on social media, but even if you don't, brands are scared of social media. And strangely, I think you can often have better results than calling or emailing mm. if you just tweet the company publicly and say, what's going on here? This isn't right. A lot of them have automated systems now that sort of catch those responses and whatever. So you do still get caught up in chatting with bots, but it can be more effective. But also I think there are a lot of resources that people aren't necessarily aware of, like Citizens Advice Bureau and Small Claims Court, all of these places. But I would encourage people to think outside the box as well about how to approach it. You know, is, are there ways that you can cheese off these companies? There might be things that you've not thought of that could, could be weirdly effective, whatever it might be. Joe Lysett's Got Your Back is on Channel 4 every Thursday night at 8pm for the next few weeks. If you like the sound of Watchdog on Drugs, then check it out. Joe also has a new stand-up tour which kicks off in March 2022. Tickets are available on his website, joelysett.com, and the name of the tour really tickled me, but I'll get Joe to say it. This one is called More, 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 How Do You Lice It? How Do You Lice It? That's it for Money Clinic Meets with me, Claire Barrett, this week, and we hope you like what you've heard. If you did, spread the word and leave us a review. We're always looking to chat with people about their money issues for the show. If you're interested in being part of a future episode and are looking for some expert money advice, then email me at money at ft.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Claire B, take a peek at our website, ft.com slash money, or grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper. Money Clinic was produced in London by Persis Love and Josh Gabbett-Doyon. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner and our editor is Howard Shannon. You heard original tunes this week by Metaphor Music. And finally, our usual disclaimer, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's all the small print for now. See you back here next week. Goodbye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corian provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc., 